0: I don't tell everybody. I think the thing that I did when I first got sober for real was I like wanted to tell everybody about it. And I was so excited, but I didn't have the proper toolkit yet to maintain that sobriety. And then I know exactly what you mean because then when I did start drinking again, it felt like I was, I had betrayed some people or something just by telling them that that was my thing. So I actually try not to, I don't wanna broadcast it like, even though that's kind of what we're doing now, but.
1: Holics.com in partnership with Heart Support and the Global Recovery Initiatives Foundation, is proud to present High Notes, a podcast about addiction and recovery in the music industry. I'm your host, James Shotwell. On today's episode, I'm talking with Kevin Patrick Sullivan, better known to the world as Field Medic, whose new album, Floral Prince, is available now through Run For Cover Records. Kevin is a gentle soul. As you'll hear throughout this episode, he's the kind of person who wears his heart on his sleeve and he is painfully self-aware. He knows the mistakes that he's made and he knows the places where he needs to improve. And I genuinely believe that he's doing his best to be the best version of himself. And in this conversation, we talk about that process along with a lot of other things. But we start where every conversation on our show starts, with me asking our guest how long they've been sober.
0: Um, I've been sober this current time for four months in three days. Uh, Like in three days, it will be four months. But before that, it was three months. Then there was a little three-week slip-up period. And then I had at my record was about seven and a half months. And then I, once COVID hit, I fell off for like five months. At 29
1: years of age, Kevin is trying to be sober for the second time in his life. Before we get into the latest round of recovery, I asked to go back to the first attempt to tell us what motivated that change and what happened I think the
0: f- i was I kept doing these things I would call taking a vow, and I'm kind of an extreme person, so I would either be just on a binge for a long time and just being like, "Fuck everything. I'm like this crazy guy that drinks all the time and smokes hell cigs and does whatever it's part of my vibe, or I would be like i." don't smoke cigs. I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink coffee. I'm going vegan. Uh, so I think I started taking vows maybe three or four years ago. I would try for, you know, maybe a month or a couple months. And I think the longest I lasted when I was just in the vow phase, um, maybe three months. And so that was when I was like 27. And then I kind of really started trying to get sober for real and kind of using like more real language around the process. When I was, hold on, the vows were probably around like 25, 26. And then I started trying to get sober for real around like 28 um, because it sort of was becoming a really serious problem for me. And so yeah, around then. So about Almost two years ago now is when I think I really started taking it seriously.
1: Every person in recovery has a story to share. And every story eventually leads to recovery. I asked Kevin to share his.
0: I somehow, just over the years, got into the habit of drinking every day. And, and at first, I get off work and grab one tall can and, and drink that. And then all of a sudden, it was two, and then it was three. And then it was maybe I'm drinking a tiny baby bottle of Ancient Age or Seagrams. Or, I'm like, tonight, I'm just going to drink an entire half of a fifth of gin for no reason. And, and I just sort of started analyzing my behavior in that way. Cause this would be like on days where I had to wake up and go work at a cafe the next morning at at 6am too. So I think with the vows at a certain point, I was just like, I don't think this is good anymore. And also it was getting to the point where I would just get drunk and I would be miserable and I would be having these really dark thoughts and not connecting to my creativity and just feeling bummed out and so I was the kind of drinker though where I didn't really cause too much chaos in other people's lives I don't think it was more just a private chaos because I usually would drink alone and I just felt really sad and I thought what can I do what's probably the worst thing that I'm doing right now. And so after a very long process of elimination, as I'm sure, you know, I I tried to cut everything else out first, whatever it may be. And then I was like, okay, maybe I should stop drinking for a while. And, uh, you know, it would work for a bit, but then in the, in the taking a vow phase of things, when it didn't register as being fully serious, I would, then wind up at a show or something and somebody would just buy me a drink and i'm like all right well i've been sober for x amount of time and then the cycle would just start again
1: it's clear to me that kevin like many of us in recovery spends a lot of time in his head he has a lot of conversations with himself about what he's doing and why he's doing it and perhaps even how it's being perceived by others but how did other people react when kevin started to make these decisions How did those closest to him react to the news that he was going to get sober?
0: I think it it took me a while until I was able to just sort of speak about openly in a serious way to people. And I think that's where the whole terminology of being on a vow, I think, came into play because it let me deflect it in a sort of humorous way where when I think I wasn't ready to admit that I had a real problem, people would try to invite me out to a bar or something and I would be like, "I'm I'm on a solemn vow right now. And and it was sort of like a hyperbolic statement that was kind of funny. But then once I started getting actually sober for real in the last year or two years, I would just tell people, you know, I didn't have an issue talking about it. And and it wasn't like talking about it as super a lot for no reason. But yeah, I don't know. I just I confide in my, you know, my best friend and my girlfriend and my family and stuff. and 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 that's. And, and I think the important thing is that, at least in my experience, when I did that, everybody's been extremely supportive and, and they're like, yeah, dude, like you should do what's best for you. Like, I'm I'm happy for you. So I think a lot of times when it comes to admitting that you have an issue with a substance or, or anything, you're kind of afraid that people are going to criticize you and make you feel badly. But I mean, as cliche as it is, the first step is just admitting
1: it. Kevin is absolutely right. The first step is admitting that you have a problem the hurdle that many people encounter is that telling others you have a problem comes with accountability as an example if i decide i want to lose weight and i just start going to the gym i'm only holding myself accountable i'm the only person that knows what i'm trying to accomplish so if i fall short i'm the only person that will know but as soon as i tell someone else about my desire to change That person is now in a position to hold me accountable. They can check in on me. They can care about me. They can make me actually do the thing that I want to do. And for some of us, that's a scary proposition.
0: Yeah, I actually know that feeling really well. I feel that way about when people or when I in the past have had this, say I get an idea for a concept album or something and I get all excited and then i tweet like i've decided i'm recording 11 songs about going to space and and then everyone's like whoa that sounds so sick and then i just never do it and I, I do know what you mean when it comes to sobriety or or anything i i've definitely had that sort of fear before because then you feel like when you if you do have a slip up you're then letting everybody else down but i feel that at least personally I, i've just moved to the place where it's like not so much uh I don't tell everybody. I think the thing that I did when I first got sober for real was I like wanted to tell everybody about it. And I was so excited, but I didn't have the proper toolkit yet to maintain that sobriety. And then I know exactly what you mean, because then when I did start drinking again, it felt like I was I had betrayed some people or something just by telling them that that was my thing. So I actually try not to I don't want to broadcast it like even though that's kind of what we're doing now, but just in a general sense, like I try to keep it between my like close friends and my family so that I don't have that expectation on me from the outside world.
1: When we began production on this season of High Notes, we knew we would be talking about the coronavirus pandemic. At no other point in our lives have so many people been forced into isolation, and that isolation can be challenging for people in recovery, as Kevin makes clear here.
0: So what happened was I was on tour up until March 15th of last year. So, literally up until lockdown began. And about halfway through that tour, at that point, I had been sober for somewhere around seven or seven and a half months. And halfway through that tour, I was just with all my friends and everybody was drinking and and having fun. And I was just like, you know what, dude? Like, I was feeling good too, because the tour was really good and it was just good vibes. And, And I, for some reason, after a show in LA, I came back to my house because I live here. So I stayed here for the night and I remember I came home and I just, there was one beer in the fridge and I just, I just was like, I'm just going to drink this beer. I don't know why, not that it's going to do anything for me, but I just decided that that was the time. And then the next day we played in San Francisco and I was just like, let's go. And I just started drinking, uh, you know, right after I sound checked. And it was really fun for the remainder of the tour because it was also kind of like re-entering this world that I had locked myself out of for so long, just being kind of careless and free because there's something about being buzzed or drunk that does for me, I'm a very anxious person. So it kind of does sometimes allow me to let my hair down and have fun in situations where I might be really stressed. And I think that's part of the reason why I started drinking in the first place. But my intention was to drink for this, what was remaining of the tour about a week or a week and a half or two weeks, and then get home and get back on the plan. I don't even know if that would have happened if COVID wasn't happening. But when I came home, you know, looking at the news and I'm looking at Twitter and I'm like, whoa, this is kind of a weird thing that's going on. And then I I just started drinking with the intention of it was so classic. I was gonna drink for one week. I don't know why this arbitrary thing, but I, I was drinking every single day for like four and a half months. So that's that's what happens. It wasn't exactly a rock bottom moment, but it was a mental rock bottom where I had been, you know, on a bender for months, and and this one day I woke up and I was just so hungover, and I felt so shitty, and I had. Sometimes when I would get really drunk, I would go on Twitter and I will tweet out crazy like dark cryptic kind of things for some reason. And I think I'd been on a weird Twitter rampage where then people are like messaging me like, dude, are you OK? And I'm just I don't even know like why I'm like seeking that dramatic attention. And it, and it was some I had one of those episodes and then started drinking this day that I woke up feeling really bad. I started drinking at like 3 p.m. And I just was like super depressed and super anxious. And I was just sitting outside, like feeling legitimately like suicidal. Um, And I called my friend and I, he kind of talked me down. I mean, I don't think I was actually going to do anything, but I mean, that feeling was just like, I, I felt like I had lost all will to live, honestly. And I felt so trapped in this pit of despair. And I talked to my friend on the phone for several hours and he kind of calmed me down. And then uh, like my roommates came home eventually. And and then, but I just, the next day I was just like, dude, that place I was just in was so dark. And I know from my experience that I just, the drinking is exacerbating all of my unstable emotions so much that I just need to stop. So that was kind of the moment because, I just couldn't do it anymore. It, it was, all the fun was gone and it had been gone for a very long time. I had just, I mean, it, it's like a feeling that I had, I've had glimpses of for years and years and years. And I mean, and in a way, like it's almost, it was a good thing that it happened. Like you said, like, cause I had to go to that extreme to understand what I was doing to myself.
1: It's hard to hear somebody that you care about hitting a point like this where all hope is lost, and they don't know if they even want to be around anymore, but thankfully, Kevin saw the light, and when he did, this is how he decided to make his change
0: um i've I have cold turkeyed it before um this this time, I think the day after that incident I was just talking about, I think I drank like two beers just because I was so like fucked up still, and I needed to like calm down, but I usually just i'm usually cold tur- what I'll do is i'll I'll either taper off the alcohol or cold turkey, it, and then I'll smoke cigs for like a couple weeks to a month as like a replacement or something. And then I'll just wake up and and stop smoking cigs one day as well. Although this last time I replaced cigs with a vape and then I got like critically addicted to vaping and then quitting vape was actually harder than quitting cigs because I was taking in like three times the amount of nicotine just smoking the vape because it was in my hand permanently
1: maybe this goes without saying but we don't encourage this behavior if you're thinking about switching cigarettes for vaping just listen to kevin
0: don't don't do it it's literally worse i would smoke cigs way faster than i would ever vape again because quitting that was like one of the most anxious experiences of my life don't do it it's bad very bad.
1: The decision to have Kevin on High Notes came after a fan sent in one of his songs titled, It's So Lonely Being Sober. And to be honest, the entire team really related to what he was saying. So he reached out to his team, and thankfully, he's now on our show. But I wanted to know, how did sobriety affect his creative process?
0: Yeah, I think like it's been interesting because a lot of my Earlier music, I think before my alcohol use was a big issue, I I talk about drinking a lot, smoking and stuff. And I think I sort of, I mean, I'm intrigued by the romantic or I have been in the past intrigued by the sort of romantic imagery of drinking and smoking and that kind of lifestyle. So at first it was kind of about that, but it's been interesting as the the journey has kind of changed directions. And now it's like, you know, it's so lonely being sober, and kind of more songs about struggling with those feelings. It's it feels way more vulnerable to admit the degree of difficulty that comes with being sober, uh, as opposed to just being like drinking all night, having fun under the moon. You know, kind of mentioning. It's so lonely being sober was a song that I I was so nervous about putting out because it's just so transparent. And uh, but as you said what I came to find out is that a lot of people connect to it. So I'm happy to be um, the conduit for expressing those emotions openly. If that's what I got to do, then I'll do it. So I just like to be honest in my songs. And that's just honestly where I'm at. That was legitimately how that song came out. Cause I was just, I was just riding my bike and I, I kind of wrote it in my head cause I was having that experience of, you know, there's that p- cloud phase when you first get sober and you're like, Oh, the sky is so blue and the trees are so tall and the flowers smell so great. I can't believe how numb I was to life. And then once that initial euphoria passes, you settle back into loneliness or, or, or depression or whatever it is, or anxiety came back for me really strong after that passed. And also just recognizing that even though for me, getting sober is something I have to do to survive, it's it's not gonna fulfill all the other aspects of my life that still are not always perfect. And that song was just when that moment hit me where I felt like, you know, that episode of SpongeBob where Squidward moves to Squidward Town. And, and at first he's so excited because everyone in Squidward Town loves to do all the things that he loves to do every day. And then as the days pass, he just becomes miserable and he sort of misses the chaos of living by Spongebob and Patrick and I felt like that because I would ride my bike on this trail twice a day and I would jump rope and I would for my little walk and I would write in my journal and I would read. And and as the days passed, I was like, dude, this is cool, but I'm super lonely. And and also a lot of my friends at that time were still drinking and partying and especially in early sobriety. It's not really that fun to go to a a crazy party or, or a crazy bar When you're not drinking.
1: Maybe the most beautiful thing about art is how it can unite people. There Kevin was sober and lonely when he wrote a song that described exactly how he was feeling and before long he found others who felt the same way and I wanted to know how that made him feel to know that he was connecting with people in the same predicament as him.
0: It seems like it sometimes it feels like it's more fun to make songs about howling at the moon and you know, doing crazy stuff, but it seems like it's actually more interesting for a listener and like humans to sort of hear about the not so fun side and the deeper side of things. And so it is actually been, it's definitely been giving me energy to, to just hear that people, especially that my experience that the song itself came from a sort of sad, lonely place is kind of helping someone else feel less alone And then knowing that they feel less alone based on them relating to my words then makes me feel less alone because I know that they relate. So it does actually, it gets me, it makes me happy and it always feels like it's a, the risk was worth it, sort of putting myself out there in that way to know that it was helpful to somebody.
1: Kevin and I recorded this conversation in April 2021. Around this time, Kevin and his team were figuring out how he could return to the road following the coronavirus pandemic. What I wanted to know is how that made him feel. After all, Kevin got sober while living in isolation due to the pandemic. Was he worried about returning to the road?
0: Yeah, I mean, so we have actually, um, Beach Bunny and I are going on our, our canceled European tour is being rescheduled to next February, so... That's Although that's still kind of far away, it's, you know, something that's actually happening. So I do feel a little concerned about getting back to touring and being around people. But I think that I've had such a transformative experience in the bubble of the quarantine and and the couple of times that I have sort of relapsed and gotten back on that. I think it's finally clear to me that I just can't take a sip because it's not gonna end well and it's not gonna be good. So I'm hoping that as things get back to normal, my head just stays on straight. And so I don't have that eight month, nine month moment where I'm like, well, maybe just one, you know, I don't wanna, I think that I've fallen for that trick enough now that I just know that my life is gonna be way better if I don't sip the slime.
1: With our time nearing an end, I had to ask Kevin the last time he had cravings and temptations to use again.
0: Um, I, I tend to get cravings, like micro cravings, anytime, for example, I'm reading this book right now and this girl is like drinking white wine and taking morphine and smoking cigs in Barcelona. And I'm just like, man, that sounds kind of crazy. Like, i sort of wondering, like, am I never going to feel fuzzy again? Um, so, just I think once again onto the romantic notion uh, of it, I'll get a micro craving, but that's obviously not enough for me to go to the store and do this because I know it would suck. So, in in books or or TV shows or something, sometimes I see it and I long for that, but I know that that's not what it actually is. That's just a fantasy of what it would be like. And then the last time that I was tempted in real life. I actually don't know because, you know, I haven't really seen anybody other than my roommates and my girlfriend and and most of the people around me don't drink a lot. So luckily, I'm not in an environment that's inherently dangerous for somebody who's trying to stay away from it very often.
1: We do not believe in giving advice at high notes. We understand that we don't know you, we don't know your life, and we don't know all the motivating factors that led you to do the things that you do, so we cannot possibly tell you what to do in response. Instead, we choose to believe in the power of suggestion. Kevin writes a lot of songs about very personal issues, and people relate to them, so it makes sense that they will come to him seeking some type of guidance in their life, and when that happens this is what Kevin will suggest.
0: I would say just listen to your heart and listen to your own intuition. Once you get to the, or once I get to the place where I say, do I have a drinking problem? That's when I sort of knew that I did because it was a question in my head that I asked myself frequently. So yeah, listen to your own heart and do what's right for you, even if that's not the easiest choice or if it doesn't feel easy, it will still be, very rewarding. And the one thing I like to think of sometimes is the one decision you most likely will never regret is quitting drinking or or quitting using or whatever, because it's not actually good for, for some people that have an addictive nature. So if you feel like you are one of those people, just give it a shot and let yourself be the truest you, you can be. And, uh, Just stay strong and obviously keep people around you that are supportive and anybody who doesn't respect your decision to try and quit drinking, they're not looking out for your best intentions. So you might have to find some better friends that care about you and because you deserve it.
1: Wow, I really can't say enough about Kevin. He's a fantastic musician and an even better human. His insights in this conversation have stuck with me since our chat in April, and I think that they'll be lingering in my mind for many months to come. I hope the same is true for you. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please seek help. The entire High Notes team is here and we're rooting for you. More importantly, we're here to help you. We can help you find counselors, meetings, resources, anything, just reach out and we will be there. As always, for High Notes, my name is James Shotwell. The show is produced by Holix.com. Our editor is Landon DeFever, and our programming consultant is the wonderful Laura Haggard. The theme song for our show was written and performed by the band You, Me, and Everyone We Know. The art was made by the great Nick Farron. We are always working on new episodes, so don't worry, we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, feel free to follow us on social media. You can find High Notes on Instagram and Twitter by looking for High Notes Pod. That's High Notes P-O-D. As I said already, we hope to be back soon. But until then, we have one small request. No matter what you do, no matter who you choose to become, please, please take care of yourself. Because you deserve it.